Hey, The Active Family, David here, and today I have a treat for you guys. We talked to Sydney from The Wildly Life. Now, Sydney is a wedding planner. She has done everything in terms of planning every single type of wedding. She's done extremely high-end work. She's done high-end elopement. She's done celebrity stuff. She has had her feet in every single part of the wedding planning process. Now, I know for me, I've always wanted to sit down with a high-level planner and say, how can I actually get the type of work that you're getting? How can I get on your preferred vendor list? What can I do as a filmmaker to make it so that you recommend me. I mean, I think that's what we're all dying to know as wedding filmmakers. And today, this is like the secrets of like how a wedding planner thinks, what she's looking for in a wedding filmmaker, what she's not looking for, and the quickest way you could just completely end a relationship with a planner in a negative. And it's something that we're actually all doing without even thinking about it. So you definitely want to listen to this episode to just get the inside scoop on what actually goes into like a wedding planner's life. Like how does someone actually become a wedding planner? And then after that, how do they go about choosing their vendors? How do they go about choosing the photographers, the florists, the filmmakers? What makes a wedding planner recommend a cheap option, a more expensive option? How can we as filmmakers structure our work on the day of in order to make the wedding planner love us and want to work with us continually? And then how can we, if we're more in the adventurous elopement space, further work with wedding planners to sell that product better? So we cover so much ground and you're definitely going to want to stay to the end because Sydney has a very interesting story. She is actually transitioning out of the wedding planning world and going into something totally crazy and different and making more money, quadruply more money doing this new thing than she was wedding planning. We talk about that at the end. So definitely stay tuned and listen to it because I actually think this idea that she had could actually help so many filmmakers and photographers as something that you could even possibly add on to what you're currently doing to add extra income. So consider this kind of getting an inside look from the person themselves, a wedding planner who has worked every single type of event imaginable and allowing you to get the inside scoop on how to better work with high-end planners so that you can charge more and be in that market that you've always wanted to be in. Oh, and really quick, I also just wanted to add before we get started is that the Profitable Filmmaker, my business course on how to make $100,000 a year as a wedding filmmaker is coming out super soon, like in the next couple months. I mean, I cover everything from business to sales to marketing to SEO to website design to profitability to accounting to productivity, everything you could possibly know in a step-by-step system on how to make $100,000 a year as a wedding filmmaker. And this system works in any market, any location, in any economy. But the beautiful thing about this whole course is it's structured, yes, to make you $100,000 in a very systematized way. But what's even more important to me is that you make that $100,000 while not burning out, while having a lifestyle that that you love by working with clients that you love and by being able to take vacations, be able to take every Friday off, being able to not have your business run you, but you run your business. So that is the heart behind this course. And we've already had so many filmmakers go through and so many filmmakers go through where in the first year they went from like 20 to 96,000 in gross revenue is absolutely 
insane. And that's a story we hear over and over where I'll get an email, hey, your course changed my life. My wife was able to quit her job. I was able to open up a studio and it just completely changed how I run my business. So if that's at all interesting to you, click the link in the description below and there'll be a sign up form to figure out how you can sign up to be the first person to hear when this course drops because you're definitely going to want to be in that early bird section because the course is only going to be out for seven or eight days and you definitely want to be in the first couple days because there's a rad discount if you get the course at that early bird price. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Well, I think we could kind of, you know, get started. And what I want to know from you, because I mean, this is, I think you're the first wedding planner we've had on the podcast and you have, I mean, just been everywhere with wedding planning. You've done like every type of wedding, kind of the bigger weddings, the smaller weddings, then you transition to more intimate elopements. So I think you'd just be a really great person to talk to wedding filmmakers and photographers about what, what even is the wedding planner life like? And then how do we as filmmakers work with wedding planners? So I want to get into that. But before we go there, I mean, one thing that I just think is so cool and inspiring is kind of the story of how you even had the dream of getting into the wedding world. And like, I'd like to hear from you and feel free. It doesn't have to be super short. It could be just kind of let all the little creative details flow of how you got into wedding planning and what were the struggles and kind of that journey? I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I feel like I do kind of have a long story. So, um, it like weaves in curves a lot. So I think it's, it's good to hear. Um, cause a lot of people think that I just like woke up and started booking weddings around the world. And that's just like, it fell in my lap, but it was very intentional every decision I made. And it took a lot of hard work to get to where I am. So anyways, but rewind. I, in high school, I, I'd always loved weddings. I would like grew up going to tons of family weddings. I was always the girl that like, I just loved weddings in general. But when I got into high school, I knew that I loved like events and anything that I planned at school or like with friends, like we had like super elaborate birthday parties growing up. It was just like fun things like that. So I always felt like I had like that passion. But in high school, I started working um, with a wedding planner in Atlanta. I grew up in Atlanta and it was like a luxury wedding planner. So I did kind of day of and came into the office in the summers and stuff to work. So I started with that and I just absolutely loved it. I was like, this is for me, like weddings all the way. So when I'm going to do this till I'm 80 years old, yes, and- <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be my life. Um, so that was about 10 years ago. Um, and so then I went to college and I went to USC in um, South Carolina, not the awesome one in California. Um, but I went, Wait, there's to- another USC. Yeah. University C? of Southern uh, or University of Southern California and then University of South Carolina. <laughs> yes. It's like the knockoff brand. Yes. Everyone, now that I live more West, I have to, Caleb, my husband, it's always like, you need to clarify because people think you went to like Southern California, which is Because when you said USC, I was like, okay, now I think this of you, but yeah. now oh, it's, it's now just, it's like, just uh, the South Carolina one. Oh, well, just kidding. <laughs> I know. I, it's funny though. I actually toured USC, California because I grew up acting and went to film school and wanted to be like an actress. So I toured it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like a whole nother whole story. Other side, yeah. So I toured it to do that. And then 
I found out how much the tuition was and other things. I mean, li- other things in life happened, but I ended up not going there. So it was ironic that I went to the other one. Yes. But anyways, so went to USC. They have a really good hospitality program. Um, there's not really like a degree in wedding planning. That's not like a thing. Um, and so I studied hospitality management, just like really closely related to the hospitality industry and weddings and events. Like I didn't learn anything about wedding specifically, but I did that in like real world experience. So like out college, um, I worked for wedding planners. I worked at event production companies. I worked at like a stadium doing concerts and festivals and sporting events. Oh my goodness. You really like went Yes. In. I, I had like three <laughs> oh jobs goodness. in college. Um, so I worked like crazy. Uh, so I got a ton of experience very young. I graduated college a year early. Um, that was not intentional. I just really just took a lot of classes and I didn't realize. So I graduated. Like, I was just so stinking smart <laughs> that you know, they just put me through. They just like, I don't know on. what happened. But I didn't take like any APs or anything in high school. So I like, I didn't get ahead in high school. I just took summer classes. So I guess that's how, but anyway, so I graduated early and then I moved to Washington DC to work at a super high end country club. And I worked in the banquet part department, which essentially is like every event that could possibly happen at the club. And so I worked my booty off. Literally, it would be like nine days straight, 16 hour work days, like every holiday, every weekend. Like it was insane. We would have anywhere from like three to 15 events per day. So we had a lot of moving parts. So it was very, very high end. So like, um, we had and very that was high full-time jobs. So like full-time. Yeah. Um, and I started off as an intern and then moved up to be the yeah. banquet manager. Um, so <laughs> dang, <laughs> So that was quite a journey in of itself. Like I wore a full suit to work every day, heels, like an earpiece, like with a radio to talk with people. We worked with secret service very frequently. Um, like, oh yeah. I feel like weddings are a downgrade now from, from that. Jeez. But we did, we did weddings there too, but they were like, you know, 200,000 plus kind of weddings, like very high end. So the level of service and the level of hospitality that was ingrained into my soul was very high. Like I would like die for the bride on the wedding day. Like, like it was expected of me kind of thing. Well, yeah. They're like, we're paying half a million dollars yeah. for this event. You like, yes. take care of me. Literally blood sweat and tears went into that job. Um, but it was a horrible, as you can probably imagine, work-life balance. I had like super bad mental health, super bad health in general, just because like I didn't have time to eat. I didn't have time to drink water. Like it was a super high stress, high pressure environment. Like every day had to be perfect. And just really quick, because I think people are curious, those really high-end weddings, because I know film some filmmakers have never even experienced a wedding at that level of perfection that has that's expected from all the vendors like really quickly and then we'll kind of get back to the story like walk me through what one of those high-end days like looks like for filmmakers that are like I have no I've I just got into weddings like what even is that yeah I would say it's just really high pressure all day like you start your day at least for me from like obviously like a more planning side like double checking every single setup, like walking through, checking every napkin fold, every plate, like hours spent just perfecting the setup. It's 
huge amounts of teams like loading. And so like the florist would have like 10 people because they spent like $40,000 on flowers. Or like when I was there, I had a staff of about like 40 to 60 people under me. They didn't all work at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like on a wedding day, we probably had about 20-ish servers. Um, and we would do like table side service with banquet captains. So this is like very old school luxury that I feel like a lot of people aren't even like familiar with. So it would look like multiple teams of servers going out at the same time, serving a table in unison and like having a captain lead them. And then I was like making sure everybody was like, okay. And like would go and like fix refold napkins and like, you know, get the extra glass of drinks. Like, so it's just like, imagine like the most extreme attention to detail on like every level and just like the pressure to like, I mean, I think obviously with any wedding day, there's a pressure, like you want it to be as perfect as possible. You want to do anything you can for any couple, even if they're paying, you know, like $10,000 or whatever their budget is. Right, exactly. But like, I feel like there's just another level because typically the people that have that kind of money and spend that kind of money just have like a different standard for anything in life. <laughs> so, um, I was lucky. A lot of the couples that I worked with when I worked in luxury were amazing. Um, a lot of the people I dealt with were very kind, but I definitely had really bad experiences of just getting like cussed out for no reason or like something that was from like not couple? a big, um, no, from like a mom, like the, the uh, mother of the bride, you know how they are. Mm, um, yeah. or like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. uh, not the couple, but like, or things like not like things happening in the day that had literally nothing to do with me, but like it becomes my problem as like, cause you're like, in, in charge, charge. Yeah. and all these weddings too even when i was the banquet manager they had um wedding planners too so like imagine it like i would just be on the venue side of it so like i wasn't dealing with like the florist like i was in the sense that like i, I was more of like the venue contact if that makes sense but the venue was like an extremely high-end country club so it was a lot different like at a venue you probably will never see those people again at a like a country club you see them like every day so the relationships are much more important because like, it's like if, you almost ran like a business, like yeah, with the same people. Exactly. So like okay. you had to be either like a member or sponsored by the member to have a wedding there. So like mm. it was very like, I knew a lot of the guests at the wedding cause they were members at the club. So like, you know, there was just different, it was like a whole different dynamic. Oh my gosh. Just like lifestyles of the rich and famous. Like, yes, oh yes. And it was a very like, um, people's uh privacy was like very important so like there was no phones allowed at the club at any time so like it would be like very rich or very famous people there but it was like really interesting because like everyone at the club is like that so like no one was like stopping to ask for autographs or like taking pictures and it also wasn't really allowed so it's just like it's so different because like I would be like trying to explain my job to people I worked with and I have like no like photos of any. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, wait, so you have this amazing job, you make all this money, but you can't show any pictures, you can't talk about it, you can't tell us who you work with. Yeah. You smuggling drugs? Is yeah. that is that what's happening? <laughs> so um yeah. yeah, so that was a lot of my years back to kind of my like story. Um that was like a lot of my years right out of college. So I started there when I was 20 or 21. So I was very young when I had that level of like responsibility and pressure. So, which is insane looking back on it. Cause I'm only 25 now. I just turned 25. So like 
Yeah, because I'm like, you're not that old. And they're like, yeah, here we're going to give like a 20-year-old full reign. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Either you were extremely talented or they were just like desperate for somebody. <laughs> I mean, obviously you did a good job. I like to think yeah, it was the, the yeah. first part. Because <laughs> um, they definitely had, they. I tried to leave a few times actually. And they were like, you need to stay. Yeah, but then I finally was like, okay, I got to like get out because this is getting too much. So then I actually went and worked with another luxury planner in DC because I knew throughout all of this, I knew that I wanted my own wedding planning company and I knew I wanted to do destination weddings. So like everything, I was just trying to get as much experience as I possibly could so that I felt comfortable like doing these weddings on my own. And on the East Coast, it's like luxuries, kind of all there is. There wasn't, especially until recently, there was no elopements. There was no adventure wedding. There was no like the PNW had a lot of that like 10 years ago before, like everyone now is kind of catching up to this trend, but I only knew like luxury or like barn weddings or like, but that sounds like really mean, not like, I don't mean in a negative way. Like <laughs> my status was so high that I couldn't even look at anything beneath no. this price point. <laughs> no, it was just like such a different, like people that were more budget friendly and uh, then it was like luxury. I didn't feel like there was any in between so I only wanted to do luxury at the time. So yeah, so I worked with a luxury planner. And then after a while, I was just like, I don't think luxury is for me. Like it was just the amount of pressure and stress and like things that people would get mad about, like that didn't really matter. It just like, it, it got to the point where it was frustrating. It was really hard to deal with people. Like I just didn't enjoy it. The couples were not my favorite. Again, this is like an overgeneralization. I obviously worked with a lot of awesome couples and vendors and stuff. But it just wasn't for me. And I started learning more about like adventure weddings and like more like not even adventure weddings, but like more unique things out there. Right. Not the like cut and paste. Because when you say luxury, because because I think for filmmakers, luxury really can be defined as two things. One as a high price point for your services or like a specific style of wedding, like fine art big hotels, extremely opulent, because you could have like a luxury adventure wedding where they spend a ton of money and it's at a premium and it could still be luxury, but it's not necessarily like fine art. So when you say luxury, like what type of weddings are the, is it all ballroom, like all like black tie? Yes. Black tie, ballroom, super, super fancy hotels or extremely nice venues you know, the very classic look of a bride, very traditional. A lot of them got married in like a, I don't even know what denominations, but like churches. And then they had like venue weddings, no ceremonies really like at the hotel or at the venue, they were all separate. Imagine like the Rolls Royce was like the getaway car, like very like, uh, I guess more traditional luxury. So like old luxury, traditional yeah. luxury. Like very like Washington DC. Gotcha. Like high class. Kind yeah. Of, uh, like old Hollywood kind of vibes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like very like kind of like politicians, like that kind of money. So glad you clarified because there is a luxury now that is like nothing stylistically like that, but mm -hmm. it's like amazingly high budget for, you know, really unique or really like cool things. But anyways, at the time I didn't know anything about literally outside of this ballroom wedding or like more of like a, a barn backyard wedding, like budget kind of wedding on the East coast. It just wasn't really a thing. So I started learning more about this and I was like, Oh, this is like so much more my vibe. Like I, like my personality, like I'm I love being outside. I hike, I love to travel. Like I just, 
love to like, I'm just like not like a very formal person um, <laughs> in general. I don't dress like this any other time than at weddings. Like, and what I'm am I doing? Literally in a suit then, but then, yeah. So it just didn't really match my lifestyle. And so then I was like, wow, there's this whole, like, if I'm trying to start my own company, why would I not match it to stuff I'm already naturally passionate about? And so that's when I started. I like left the planner. I started my business called Wildly in Love. And it was kind of on the premise that like wild in the sense of like being outside and like kind of more adventurous and more unique. And then also a lot of things that made me really sad when I worked in the more like traditional luxury. Again, this is like an over, what is it called? Generalization. But like a lot of the couples, I couldn't really tell that they even like liked each other, let alone loved each other. Like they didn't spend, again, this is like not all of the couples, but like, yeah, a lot of the couples just didn't, they didn't even like seem really like into each other. Like I, I just really didn't feel the love that I like want from people on their wedding day. <laughs> I was lied to by Disney. What is this? Why, yes. why do you guys like not even care to be in the same room? What is going on? Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, what is happening? So I just wanted like couples that I could tell that they were just wildly in love with each other. Like I just wanted those people that it was like, you know, I have a vision and I have a dream for the day, but like you could just tell, like, you know, you can just really tell when a couple loves each other so genuinely. And it just makes the whole infinitely times better. Yes. And it's just, the whole thing is just better. So, um, that was kind of like my goal. So I was originally supposed to, so I started my company right before COVID. Um, and I was supposed to move to Seattle. (laughs) Great timing. Yeah. Great timing. So I moved to Seattle, like signed a lease, sold my belongings in DC. Um, and then COVID happened. I was paying like double rent, two major cities, like couldn't move. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You just, you like, you, you just sold all your belongings. Yeah, because it was. Were, were you single at the time? Yes, uh, yes. I hadn't okay. even met my husband yet. <laughs> Obviously, that could be a whole story, but that's crazy. Were you making a good salary at this high-end job? I honestly, I I make more at my own business than I did okay. working in luxury. Okay. So like, I feel like because maybe I was young, like I feel like in that, realm like you get paid more not maybe even on your like knowledge but it's more of like years you've been doing it so I could have been doing it for 20 years or somebody could have been doing it for 20 years and I like in theory am better at the job but like I've been doing it for two so you know it's more like that kind of payment so like I wasn't making a ton of money like by any means <laughs> I see but you're doing these crazy weddings uh, yeah I'm is, like making hundreds yeah. and hundreds you're of like, thousands oh you're probably no. like rolling you're like nah not really no no so that was another thing I just I wasn't making that much money for the amount of time I was pouring like I'd be working 80 plus hour work weeks every week I had like no balance and like every holiday like it was just a lot it wasn't really worth it for what I was you know wanting right okay so so then the transition to something of your own wasn't as scary. It didn't feel yeah. like, oh, I'm giving up this whole life. It was more like, hey, I prioritize more my happiness and doing what I love since the money's really not anything crazy. Yeah. And like, I, it was still obviously, it was definitely scary to start no matter, like, I feel like regardless, just because, I mean, I think anyone that owns their own business can relate. It's like, okay, is somebody going to hire me? Like, are people going to see my value? Like I've only ha- like I've been working for other people for years, but like, that's not my portfolio. Like what wedding planning is very different. Like you don't like second shoot like photography and then you can like show those photos. Like that's not like the same. So it was like kind of starting fresh. So how did you prep for that? Like, cause your income probably dried up overnight. And I know a lot of filmmakers are either moving to a different state or going from film to photo or photo to film. Like, was it kind of just like YOLO, I'll be fine. And you did no prep or like, 
how did you get ready for that? Yeah, so I I definitely prepped. I'm very strategic and like I feel like I'm very business minded. Like I I so like believe like follow your dreams, like run full steam ahead, but I think you have to have plans. So, um kind of had my idea for my business. I had ideas kind of of like how I was going to like reach out, like very practical, like this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. I had a lot of styled shoots lined up at the beginning. Like, obviously that was the only way I could show my work. Like a photographer, videographer, it's like, Hey friends, come out. Like, let's go shoot at sunset. Like for me, I had to like literally create stuff. So I did a lot of styled shoots at the beginning to kind of show like, this is what I can do. And then I obviously had all the years of experience. So when I got on a couple, a call with a couple at the beginning, I'd be like, Hey, my business is newer. Like this is some of my work, but like I've had years and years of experience in this. So like, I'm not just woke up today and decided I wanted to be a wedding planner, which I think some people that I've at least interacted with think that that's how it can be. You're like, I went to USC. All right. <laughs> no. So just, just hire me. All all right? It'll be great. <laughs> no, I think the experience after college was way better than college for me. Okay, um, right. But anyways, and then as far as like income, I've, got a part-time job. So I worked at a bridal salon part-time. So that I did, I think for the first year, I, which they were amazing because they were super flexible with me. Like I was like, Hey guys, like, this is what I'm doing. I'm starting my business. I'm going to be working on weekends, which is obviously a very prime bridal salon time. So I usually work Sundays and Saturdays. So I usually would work like six days a week, if not more starting out. And then as my business started, like blowing up, I started cutting back days at the bridal salon. So when I first started working there, I'd work there like three days a week. And then by the end, I was working like, you know, one day a week or like one day a month. Honestly, at the end, I just didn't want to quit because I loved all my girls there. And it was so fun. Yeah, but I was but like, I love this more. Yeah. So I was like, I need to quit because I was also like gone every weekend doing destination stuff. So it was really, it was also with COVID, like DC was extremely, extremely strict. So like we had a lot of like red tape when it came to like leaving the state, going to specific states that were on the red list. So I couldn't work at the bridal salon if I had traveled there after two weeks. So like I would have a wedding in like New York or I'm just, or Texas or wherever. And like that would be on the red list. So then I couldn't work for two weeks after I came back, but I was constantly going for weddings. So it got to the point where it was just like, so it was just a mess. And I was like, they were so amazing and flexible, but I was like, guys, I feel like I'm just continually screwing you over because you put me on the schedule. Right, right, and I'm right. like, like, you should hire someone who's going to be a better fit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like going to be consistent. So um, yeah, after a year, I went like full time and like that was my sole income was my like weddings. And then, yeah, so that was like, again, that was super long, but that was kind of like. <laughs> no, that was, that was really good. And then the weddings that you did, so if I'm following the timeline right, it was the ballroom kind of high-end luxury kind of traditional weddings. Then you started wildly in love because you're like, hey, I want to work with very unique couples who you can clearly tell are in love. And then what was that season like? Did you start working with those couples? Like what I'd like to know there is like, who were those type of couples that found you? What is the price point for couples to hire a planner like you that are more in that unique, not traditional, like kind of just unravel or uncover that business model of a wedding planner working with more unique couples. Like what did that kind of look like? Because as filmmakers, we have honestly no idea, like besides the wedding planner showing up on the day of like, what does that business look like? Like, how do you actually work with couples? How do they find you? And things like that. Niche down, don't niche down, things like that. 
Mm-hmm. So when I started my business, I was not, um, I was doing like bigger weddings, intimate weddings. I was doing any kind. Oh, you were doing everything. Okay. I was doing everything. Yeah. So when I started, I was still doing like 150 plus kind of weddings. I would say budget wise, it was more like mid range, like probably between like 50 to 80,000 for the weddings, you know, give or take, depending on their style and stuff. But it wasn't like anything that was like super, like I need to be on a budget, if that makes sense. You know, everyone has like the couples here and there, but I think a lot of, so my main thing when I started was Instagram. I like poured my heart and soul into Instagram. This was obviously like pre reels, pre like basically anything we have now. I just had feed posts and stories. So I would get on every day and story. I would try to post like at the beginning, I didn't have a lot of content and it was also in the thick of COVID. So like, I couldn't really like be going out traveling. So I would post like maybe once a week really stretch out my content. Luckily I'd done some shoots before COVID to launch my business. So I had that content and just really shared like all the behind the scenes, like all that. And eventually got up to where I could be posting every single day. And that's how like 99% of my couples found me. Also being on the East coast, I was very unique in the sense of like the style I was doing. So immediately so many photographers and videographers and florists and whoever were like so drawn to my work because it was so different than like the traditional ballroom wedding. And so we had this whole, like a lot of vendors in DC, we had this like little slogan. It was like, make D- DC cool. <laughs> Cause like, <laughs> make like, DC cool again. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like, it needs to, like we can do like the West coast and like a lot of these other places. It's like, you have stunning backdrops. So it makes like, from a planning aspect or like stylistically, it makes it relatively easy. If I'm being honest, when you have a gorgeous yeah, and mountain, no one else is doing yeah, it. And it's like, that's beautiful. But like when we don't have that and I have to create that vibe in a not super artsy city, like DC is very like, not, it's not really creative. It's cut and dry. Yeah, yeah. And like with the surroundings around me, I think that really like made me unique. So a lot of vendors started recommending me very early on, um, which helped. And then I started booking, um, right out of the get go, I actually started booking like weddings. All It was just us at the time, but all over the US. And then I'm just a big believer in like, if you want to travel, which I can talk about this, like in a little bit, but more about like booking destination stuff, like you need to post about it, you need to share about it, you need to like, explain your expertise and like, why somebody would hire you and fly you across the country versus booking somebody locally to that destination. Yeah, you should talk about that really quick. Because I think like where a lot of the advice stops with destination work for either planners or photographers or filmmakers is, hey, show destination work, right? And I think that's great. Obviously, you just said it, that's step one. But I think you hit on the very important thing that so many people miss. It's like, okay, you can show it, but it's become relatively easy to show that you travel. I mean, who doesn't want to travel? But how can you communicate more value of, hey, there's five filmmakers in California that are willing to travel to Hawaii for this epic wedding because who wouldn't want to go there? But like, why filmmaker, photographer, or planner? Why should I bring you out? Like, how could someone better communicate the fact that they are a good fit to have be flown out of state, out of country? Like what are those selling points that you found with couples for planners that might even translate to photographers and filmmakers, things like that? Yeah. I think for me, the biggest selling point, and I mean this in the least arrogant way, like is me. Like people hired me because they wanted to work with me. Obviously they loved my work and they loved, you know, my portfolio and kind of what I was putting out there. But like, 
I don't have it. I never had a team and that was very strategic. Like, I think there are ways to build out a team and like grow obviously and all those things, but like people wanted to work with me. And so it was like, I want to work with you versus someone, you know, in Hawaii, because I love you and I connect with you and I want to work with you. So especially planners at being like a year, year and a half of like weekly, if not daily communication, like I think you need to have a really great relationship with that person. So I think for me, that was the biggest selling point. I think obviously for when it comes to like photographers and videographers, like stylistically, I've noticed that like certain areas might edit more like DCs, a lot of the photographers, again, this was like maybe three or four years ago, they would edit very like light and airy, that more traditional right. vibe. Typical. Yeah. Right, yeah. So like if somebody wanted somebody that was more like true to color, more moody or like more filmy, like you couldn't find that there. Of course now you can, but like, so like taking somebody like what makes you unique and kind of highlighting that I think is how you can essentially convince and like show that you're worth it to take there. And I don't think like, obviously every couple in every situation is not for everyone. So like I did have couples where I was like, especially in the recent years when I was just getting like a lot of inquiries, I was having to be more picky. I would tell couples like if they had either like a pretty small budget or um, like they're styled in the line, I, there's no point in paying for me because like realistically, like I can't really do much with your budget. Cause like, plus my fees, plus my travel, it was just like, I honestly would rather do like a call with you. Like I do planning consulting calls and like give you all my knowledge that I think will relate to you. And then you either try to DIY it or hire like a day of coordinator, try to find someone that's at a lower price point. But I was like, We're, you're going to waste your own budget on me and I won't be able to actually design anything for you. So like, right. I'm going to feel like I'm in a pickle. Right, exactly, um, exactly. But anyways, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I kind of answered the question, but I think just like highlighting what how you feel is like unique about you. And even if you feel like, Oh, there's so many like film photographers now, or like so many videographers that shoot this way. Like this is just how I operate my business. Like it's a very personal thing to me. So people relate to me on a personal level. So like, I think showing up, like, I mean, this has been said a million times, but like showing up and showing who you are, I don't think that means like, you know, you have to show up and record your face every day. If that's not who you are or like dance or create silly reels or like, things that don't like you would never do in life. Like, uh, I think there's a difference of like getting out of your comfort zone versus like putting on an act. That's not you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I just like put out who I am and what I did and, and people resonated with that. But I think there's obviously ways you can do that if you're more reserved or more, you know, like, cooler I don't know like more that edgy <laughs> personality like I I am the person that would like dance and stuff so like that works for me but like I don't think that's for everyone and everyone should do that so yeah and I think you're hitting on just a super important point is the easiest way to create a premium brand is to make the brand focused on you because people are indispensable Every single human on this planet is unique. The problem is we're usually conditioned through life experiences to like hide that and not be weird because everyone's weird. Like every single human is weird. Yeah. You just got to like get the time <laughs> to know them and they have to be comfortable yeah, sharing weird it. in different ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Weird in different ways. And I think the more that planners, photographers, filmmakers can show that and do it primarily on Instagram, it creates like what you said, a couple saying, I have to like... You might be the same level of talent as another filmmaker or planner, but something about your personality and how you see the world, they're like, I want you there. And I know for filmmakers, it's hard because it's like, hey, a lot of times this conversation is, 
okay, dance on reels or like put your face there. And there's a lot of introverts saying like, I would rather die <laughs> than, <Yeah. laughs> than like show my face. And I think there's a fine line of, hey, if you're in business, sometimes you have to do hard things. And even if you feel like it goes against the grain of who you are, sometimes you just have to do it if you want to get to that next level. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, in this is a weird example, but like in dating for guys, like a lot of guys don't want to like approach girls, but you got, you have to, even if you're the most introvert of introvert, you kind of got to just do it regardless of what your personality is if you want this thing. So I think like as introverts, there's a level of you just got to do it, but you could do it. Like if you're not a dancer, you don't got to dance on reels, but you can post cool artsy photos of yourself with like well thought out captions consistently. And those things will still generate that, oh, I have to have you for my wedding. So, but I love that you mentioned that because it's so key. And then off of kind of, since we're talking about filmmakers now and a lot of filmmakers that I think listen to this podcast are trying to get into that market of premium weddings that have a luxury price tag, but they're of couples that are very much in love and they have a unique style. But I think so many filmmakers, there's a couple problems. One, they don't know how to find planners that are doing that style because a lot of them seem to be doing the more traditional. And then if there are planners doing like how do, how do we find planners like you that are doing that? And then two, and that's, this is probably the bigger question, is like what are planners looking for in terms of a filmmaker? And what does it even look like to form a relationship with a planner? And how does that benefit the filmmaker? What do you look for in recommending other filmmakers? Like what is that process from just a person who's like, I've never ever tried to form a relationship with a planner, but I hear it's a good thing and I know I need to do it. Like, I don't know. No, <laughs> no, that's a that's a great question. question. Yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, so I have so many thoughts on this. One, I think like the biggest thing is you need to approach this like relationship with a planner with like a very genuine heart, with like obviously you have a motive of like wanting to get to know them better, but expect like nothing in return because I get an absurd well, now it's kind of stopped as I've transitioned, but like an absurd amount of DMs from photographers, videographers. Hey, I want to shoot more elopements. Like, can you recommend me to your couples? Like, no, I can't. Like I, yeah, you just get too many. Yeah. It's too many. It's not genuine. Like you don't even know my name. Like you're just copy pasting, sending it. Like that is so icky to me. I resonate. And I feel like other planners, again, everyone's a little different, but I resonate with like a slow build. <laughs> so like, you know, maybe you find me, you really like my work or whoever planner you find, you love their work, follow them, interact with their stuff, genuinely comment things like, oh my gosh, like this wedding is amazing. Like this is kind of my dream or whatever. Like just comment stuff. You know, if you do want to DM someone, just casually say like, Hey, I just found you via blah, blah, blah. Like I'm so obsessed with your work. I would love to work with you one day. Like not like asking anything, just like putting it out there and say like, you know, like, hope you have a good day or whatever. I don't know. Like something like you're not asking right. anything because <laughs> right. then you're like, to me, I'm like, oh, okay. This person has like clearly seen my work. They took the time to write something super genuine. And like even mention like a recent wedding that they did. Like, oh my gosh, I saw that wedding in Arizona. I'm literally like dreaming over that ceremony location. Like try to make it as like personal as possible to like that planner. So it's not like, I love your work. I'd love to do this. Thanks. X, X, my name. Um, <laughs> right. so <laughs> they like get your name wrong. Cause it's copy and place. It's just like high blank. Yes. Oh, uh, it's like, okay. 
And I always loved when people would say my name because my, now it's obviously on my Instagram, but before it was nowhere on my Instagram. So like you had, it wasn't like, Hey, my name is Sydney, like in my bio, it would be like in a post or on my website. So whenever someone said Sydney, I was like, Oh, you did your research. Um, (laughs) But especially if it's like a company and they don't really have like a face, like trying to go to their about page and like something like that. I think just going above and beyond personally and like interacting. Cause like how I find kind of moving on. I think there's like obviously other ways to like maybe you email them, you know, especially if it's a more luxury kind of planner. They they don't maybe resonate with like random DMs being like, oh my God, I love your wedding. They might enjoy the comments and the follows, but I think trying to like match the style of what the person is in the sense of like, if you're going for these more like elusive planner is that like, I don't even know who runs this company. I don't even know their name. <laughs> like, like <laughs> Just the black smoke somewhere. <laughs> I don't know what this is. Uh, for me, it's like very obvious that I am wildly in love kind of thing. So I think that is like super beneficial. But again, like, don't ask immediately, like, I want to be recommended because like, as planners, I feel like we're overwhelmed with vendors, especially doing in the destination market. Like I have people all over that are reaching out to me. It's not like I work in Denver. So like only Denver based people are reaching out to me. It's like literally all over the country and the world. So it's like, oh my gosh, I know hundreds and hundreds of you. So anyways, back to how I find people and how I kind of would recommend them to my couples. Like it's a pretty lengthy process. So like I could love a photographer's or videographer's work and I would want to recommend them, but there's two things that I kind of like filter people out immediately. So like one is price point. So like my couple might not have the price point that you are and, or they're editing, like the style of editing that they like doesn't match you. So like I have had couples that like a more light and airy style. So I'm not going to recommend like my adventure photographer who edits true to color or like somebody might edit more like moody and filmy and like that super like, like romantic love. That's like, I feel like super big right now that like looks like it's film and super color, like, like a movie, like not everyone likes that. I love that. But like, not everyone right, does. Right. So like, I'm not gonna <laughs> Bonnie bear in the background, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like with a small violin or something. <laughs> so I think it's like, those are two factors. And then like, I also look at if I think my couple would connect with that, you know, photographer and videographer. So I do a lot of like research in the pregame before I even email them. So like when I have these people that have messaged me or are constantly interacting with my content, not just like a one time DM that I like have forgotten about, like showing up on my feed regularly. I'm like, Oh, so-and-so films, like she's always commenting, like, what does her work look like again? So then I'll like click on her profile and kind of look at her. So like those natural interactions that are constantly on top of mind, I feel like those are kind of some of my like go-tos is like, you're just constantly interacting. I have a relationship with you. And so like, you might be on my top of mind to recommend. And then kind of how I work with my couples is I would like draft a list of like, you know, 10 people that I say, Hey, you know, I think these are really good photographers and videographers for X, Y, and Z reasons. I usually try to find a mix of local to wherever the destination is and, or like traveling destination specialization, like vendors, because if that couple's like, I don't want to pay, I love this local person. Like we can do that. Or if they're like, I'm obsessed with this person, I will pay to travel them anywhere. I don't care. They will do it. And it's like, I honestly have a mix. I'd say most of mine will pay to fly like the person they want. Um, It's less likely that it's like a local person, but I still like to give my couples that option. So they're not like Sydney, we're getting married in Arizona and you recommended like nine people in California, Colorado, Washington, like Utah, like they're like, why? 
anyway, so I like send it to them. I have them look through like, you know, portfolios, websites, Instagrams. I like kind of give them some tips on what to look for and like how to decide like if they like that style or not. What tips do you give for like, because this is all like insider information of like, we're never in that room of, you know, the it's all blacked out. Like, okay, here's the secret. Okay, don't hire anyone with these letters in their business name. Okay? <laughs> so I tell them to look through Instagram and website because some people have not ed- updated their website in like two years. Like I will go to their website and I'm like, oh my God, like I, this doesn't even look like your work on your feed. Cause like, you know, maybe they just haven't gotten to it or vice versa. They don't really post on Instagram, but their website's super up to date. So I tell them to try to look at both. And if they see any discrepancies, like obviously I'm like, let me know if something's like crazy that sticks out to you, but I want to make sure you kind of see both if they have on their website, if not like sometimes photographers have either offered to send a full gallery or like obviously um, videographers have like their films on like Vimeo or like YouTube or something like that. Um, I tell them for video, I tell them to watch like at least one film, like all the way through. Like you can't just watch two minutes of it and decide. I mean, you could be like, I'm in love with them, but you need to finish it. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause like how people tell stories is so different. So um, the and even like 30 seconds can be great, but then it's like, uh, it kind of falls off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I tell them to watch like the full thing for photographers. I tell them if like possible, either look at like a full blog or try to see a full gallery. If they like want to see a full gallery from some, then I'll like reach out and be like, Hey, can I, you know, send this, whatever. Those are some tips. I also say like, you know, depending on the couple, cause some couples, a lot of the couples that work with me obviously hired me because they like, they love my vibe. They're similar to me or they just resonate with me. So I'm like, look at their about page, see if they have anything on their Instagram. That's like more personality driven to see if you would like, like interacting with them for long periods of time, because especially for like, as I niche down to more like very intimate weddings and elopements, you are with the photographer and videographer, like eight to 10 hours. Yeah. The whole day, like, especially elopements, like we're literally doing everything with that person. So like for elopements, if we're hiking for the elopement, I'm looking to see like, have they hiked before for elopement? Do they like to hike? Like they could hate like hiking. Like I'm not going to hire them to hike five miles with us at sunrise, you know? So like things like that, that are like more like niche kind of like unique situations. I very rarely like just decided, oh, they don't hike. Like unless they literally put on their website, I hate hike. But I obviously tend to lean towards people that, you know, they kind of specialize in those more mountainy hiking things if that's what the couple wants. Or if they want the more, I don't know, like just different styles. I keep that in mind when I'm uh, recommending photographers and videographers. That makes sense. And then I send it to them. They kind of like review it, kind of like I was saying. Um, Obviously, if they have questions or like immediately if somebody jumps out to them. And then I reach out to those photographers. Wait, sorry, I missed this step. But when I have my like initial list, I've already reached out to those photographers and videographers to say, are you available? What's your pricing? Yes. So I reach out to like a larger list and then I tell them, I'm going to send this to the couple. I'll keep you posted, send it to the couple. And then the couple, I usually have them choose like two to three of each like photo video to either move forward with jump on a call, like if they have specific questions, like, hey, I want to see, you know, a film that's more related to this kind of story or photos that are, you know, midday or like, because, you know, most people post the more like perfect lighting photos. So like things like that. And then I reach back out, kind of connect the photographer and the videographers or whoever with the couple. That way you guys can form a connection with the couple directly mm. um, versus me being like a weird middleman. I know some planners don't do it this way. Yeah. Cause that's interesting. Cause a lot of 
I mean, obviously where your business was, it was more the intimate wedding. So that made sense of couples who would want that. But maybe you could talk about that because there's a lot of like, I, I just saw a post in the wedding filmmaker group, a big one a couple weeks ago. And someone was like, hey, if you want to work with high level clients, you're just going to have to forget about ever meeting with them. Like that's just a pipe dream. Um, you need to just throw that away. And there's lots of people saying, yeah, that's right. Like don't be entitled and ruin the process. And then other people saying, well, no, I shoot really high-end work and I charge 10000 plus and I still meet with the couples and that's a big part of what I do. Like you as a planner, having been in both worlds, like as a filmmaker, what would be like a good response for a planner who's like, hey, uh, so-and-so couple, they really like your work. Hey, can you just send over your pricing? Like what, what have you found works best in both scenarios? One where it's like a planner... Yeah, say, say just a planner reaches out and they're like, hey, what are your prices? What are your packages? And then how should a filmmaker respond to that? Should they just be like, hey, here's my packages and pricing. Let me know if they want to hop on a call. It's kind of like simple like that. Yeah, I think having like less expectations with like immediately talking to the couple is better. I've had like I try to always explain my process when I reach out like, hey, I'm going to pass it on. If they want to move forward, then I will connect you guys to get on a call. Like, I know that's important, that sort of thing. Because I was having people get like a little bit sassy with me and they'd be like, I want to talk to the couple, like essentially like right now, like I'm not going to give you my pricing. And I was like, I respect what you're saying, but I'm not going to intro you to my couple without even knowing where your starting point of pricing is, because I'm not going to have them waste their time and or get excited and your packages start at 10K and their budget is 4K. Like that's a waste of everyone's time. So, you know, I I think when it comes to, like you said, the more like high-end luxury, I, I will say a lot of the couples tend to, they don't really want to be involved as much. They've hired some high-end planner that is doing way more like nitty gritty stuff and making more decisions on their behalf because they're so busy and they don't want to like, they might be a doctor and they don't care about, they just want to turn the key. Yeah. I'm they sure. just want to say, I trust you do it for me. And like, you know, we hear, here's some import here and there, but like, generally speaking, like we just want to kind of show up. And for me, those couples, I tend to just respond back when they inquire with me before we've obviously gotten to the photo and video. I'm like, um, I don't think we're a good fit because I like to have a relationship with you. I make you involved in the process. Obviously I'm doing all of the like hard work. I'm here like, do you like this or this kind of thing? But I want them to be involved. And like mm. part of my slogan is like, I want you to feel like you're planning your wedding with your best friend. So I can't do that if you don't care to get on calls with me or email me back or things like that. And there are planners that like, that's more their bread and butter. So back to the question about video, I think don't be like alarmed or shocked. If like your couple's like, no, I'd rather not get on a call. If that's a deal breaker for you, then like I say, then the couple's not a good fit anyway, because they're not going to care about the relationship with you on the wedding day either. And if that's really important to you, then like, and that's not a bad thing. They just, in their brains, they've hired you for a service. They don't need to be best friends with you for you to shoot their wedding day. Exactly. But a lot of people operate that way. So I think that that kind of helps with like deciding. Right. And it really seems like a planner can go either way. You kind of got to know who this planner is that you're talking to before you respond to where it's not just this cut and paste. Well, every planner you have to demand a phone call or every planner you just have to send pricing. It's kind of like back to what you said. You should almost have like a list of five to six planners that you know would be a good fit for you and your style that maybe wouldn't be a good fit for videographer B. 
But with that planner, you kind of know, okay, if I am like to take on weddings that are more personal, I'm going to try to work with planners that are more that way and kind of figure out what their process is. But if a planner, high-end planner XYZ contacts me and I know they do super high-end weddings and I don't know them really well and they just ask for pricing, don't like try to push your process on them. If you know that's probably not their process, you could just be like, oh, here's my pricing. And if you know this is how you work or let me know how you work kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. Like either asking, like you can say like typically and then give your little process, say, I don't know what yours is, but like, let me know if they do want to get on a call, like here's a link or whatever. Like I think making it known that you're willing to do that. But like you said, it's kind of like there are different planners work different ways. And I think as a planner and generally speaking, planners have a pretty efficient process <laughs> because we are right, planning right. so I mean, many different planners. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I think when somebody tries to derail my process, it honestly really annoys me <laughs> because I'm like, I'm sorry, but like, I'm going to be vouching for you to get booked by my couple. So like, I think another thing is like, you don't need to like, you know, be fake to planners or like super kiss up to them. But like, I think just keeping in mind, like if I have a bad experience in emailing with a photographer, I'm going to let my couple know that. Like, I'm going to say I reached out to them. Obviously, I'm not going to be like, they said this in their email. But like, I would be like, these two, I usually highlight the people that went above and beyond or were really friendly. I said like, this person was super friendly. And like, I feel like I connected with them super well. Because I, again, I'm a more personal style of planning. So we, I've been to weddings or like been in a wedding you know, elopement, whatever. And it's like a little awkward with the photographer, the videographer. Cause like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I feel like sometimes it just, it doesn't mesh well. So I try to make my couples know, like know that, but again, like some of my, like back when I did bigger weddings and especially back when I worked in luxury, that wasn't really a thing, but just how I operate. So I, I know every planner, like you said, does it a little bit differently, but I think just having, like, you can have your process as a photographer, videographer, do you do however you're going to do it. <laughs> but don't like come out so at the gate, like try to figure out yes. who this person is, what their process is. And by all means, try to mold into their process as much as you possibly can, unless it somehow breaks some ethical boundary that you're like, I would be not the same person if I did this thing <laughs> they're asking me to do. Yeah. Or if you require, like, you have to get on a call before booking because you've had a bad experience with some couple and, like, that's, you will not budge on that, then, like, you can say that, I mean, say it maybe nicer after you've gone back and forth, whatever, but, like, that couple just might not be for you if they're not, like, willing to get on a call. So I think um, just being, you said, having some different options of how you respond, but I think generally speaking, you provide the information, you give a little insight into your process, but being flexible is, like, the best way to go. Yeah. Sorry, that was a super long answer. <laughs> no, no, no. That's super interesting. Like, I'm loving all of this. Uh, and then for filmmakers, like, because you're in that room with a couple where you give them 10 options and they are at all different price points. Some are local, some are destination. You said that the weddings that you were kind of doing primarily were the 50 to 80,000, maybe even to 100,000 certain times, but not all of them. And I think that's where a lot of filmmakers are personally in terms of like, unless they're at the top of the top market is kind of 50 to 100,000 is probably a good range of most weddings that are a little upper scale. What did you find couples, your couples prior, like what were the price range that they would typically go with for filmmakers? And I think that would be really helpful. And then what kind of made them go with that price range versus a cheaper option, or maybe they were just choosing cheaper options like 
if you can kind of bring me into that backroom decision process, because I think that's what filmmakers really want to know is like, why do these type of couples who I really want choose this filmmaker versus this filmmaker? Why do they spend more money or less money? And what's the average for a fifty dollars to $100,000 wedding that you found for people to invest in filmmaking? Yeah, I'd say on average, probably between like four to eight as like a top, top, mm. top for somebody to spend. I'd say usually around like five and six, especially like for my elopements and like the smaller intimate weddings, you have to kind of keep in mind those people are naturally going to think that they're going to have a smaller budget. Like it's not always that way. Like I have couples that reach out and they say they want to elope for $10,000. And I'm like, you definitely can do that. But if you're planning on hiring me and a photographer, you're already over 10,000 and you don't even have a videographer. (laughs) So I, most of my elopements were around $20,000. So yeah, I think just keeping that in mind, but to me, my couples who prioritize like film, they are willing to pay, you know, within a certain, obviously, like I said, they don't really go over eight, but within a certain range, they're kind of willing to pay for who they love and who they think would record it, like capture their day. Well, um, otherwise they're just not going to do it. Cause like, I've had couples that are say like, I'm not sold on videography, but I'd love for you to reach out. I just want to see like what people are available price points. And then if they're like, wow, that's a lot more like, we don't really care about it that much. So they're not going to hire someone. Like they typically don't say, I want to hire someone for $2,000, which I also tell them like, that's not really realistic. Um, but uh, right. <laughs> if you want to, it's like, it, you'd, you'd be better off just saving it. Yeah. Saving like money. I would just <laughs> save the money, like at that point. So, and I also tell couples, like, I don't think that videography is for everyone. That might sound controversial, but like, I think there are couples that like, they just don't care about that stuff. Like they, I've had couples that like, it's kind of rare, but I have had couples that don't even really care about photography. Like they really just, they don't care about the like after like the having those memories. They, they, they just don't, that's not their priority. They're like, I have my iPhone and that's great. Yeah. And they, they want to hang out with their people on their wedding day. They're a little bit more chill in some ways. Like they don't care about the design as much. Like you know, when you're spending a ton of money on the day and the vibes and the design, like usually you're like, well, of course I want that photographed and I want it on video to remember, but I will say it's not for everyone. So when people are on the fence and they're saying like, this is what I value and this isn't, I sometimes tell them like, honestly, like, I don't know if you would care enough to spend that much, that kind of money on that. If you don't think you'd ever like rewatch it or share it with people, like, I don't know, like for elopements, a lot of times I do say, I think that I personally value video. I think it's awesome. I think it can capture so much more than even photos can. I I think it's super important and I love it. So I'm not like a negative video person by any means, but when the couple's like, I can't think of an example right now. They just don't care about certain things about the process. I can immediately almost say like, I bet they won't even want a video of her because I ask, I say like, do you want to hire one? And then they'll say like, no, yes. Or I'm thinking about it. Like I want to look at options. Right, because it's usually like photos always the one. If you were to pick one, you would pick photos because they're just more versatile. Yeah. And video is still, and it might forever be, a luxury item that's a premium thing if you have the money. But have you seen like, do you think more and more brides are getting interested in video than when you first kind of started in weddings and things like that? I would say so. I think there's a lot more creativity to videography than maybe there was like five, 10 years ago. Um, I don't know if that's with technology or what, but like, I feel like they can create like the feeling of your wedding day in a video versus like 
you know, maybe 10 years ago, it was like, you set up a camera and you're like essentially recording the ceremony. And it's like, right. it's like, who wants, who to wants, yeah, that, I didn't really? even, you know, we yeah. didn't even care about it the first time. You just want all the other things. Right, so, right. um, I think that's a thing. I also tell couples like my eloping couples, I tell them that I sometimes think video is more important because you have no one else there. So like video is a great way to show like your family and friends to make them feel included, make them what feel happened? like, yeah. yeah. And like, it's just the two of you. So like, it's a different experience, but like, I feel like looking back on it is like, you can be more reminiscent. Cause like no one else is there with their photo, like their camera, or, like iPhone videos when you're dancing, like no one's getting that. Um, and you can hear it, which is like so much better. Yeah. And, uh, like, I know you mentioned that, like what would make, cause this is what I'm curious about is like w- those couples that did spend 8,000 on a film at like the higher level end, what type of companies were those people hiring? Like, what did you see in those companies where the couple was like, I'm going to spend 8000 Like, what was the difference between those companies and maybe the cheaper companies that were offered? And why did they, why were they comfortable? And was that 8000 including travel or 8000 just for the family? I think including. Okay. Including travel, yeah. I would say it's typically more, like, they were really drawn to their work and, like, how they told the story or their budget was just maybe a little bit bigger and they really loved, you know, X, Y, and Z. I've also been seeing a lot of, especially with the intimate weddings and elopements, a lot of people that have been helping my couple's book is photo and video combined, like one person or a husband and wife or a couple or whoever, because it tends to be more economical and they can kind of get both at a lower price point. So sometimes maybe the 8,000 was like, a deal with like this photographer and this videographer and they're doing it together kind of thing. I don't know. I just think it's, I feel like I'm bad at like explaining videos, but at least to me, I feel like I can tell watching a video who put like a lot of quality and like energy into capturing their day in like a unique way and like telling their story uniquely and like paid attention to all the details and like who they are as a couple Versus like a film that's just kind of like cut and paste. Yeah. 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 Like more cut and paste. Like anyone could, you could put any couple there and like, especially cause I know the couple super well. So like sometimes seeing the product after and you're like, wait a minute, this is not them. Yeah. Oh, this is like an interesting, like I didn't really get anything from this personally, you know, or like the films that I'm like, Oh my God, I literally just relived their day. Like this is so good. Um, or films that I, even people I haven't worked with, but I love their work. Like, I'm just captivated. Like, I don't even know who this couple is, but I'm sitting here watching their wedding story. Like, I feel like that takes a lot of skill. <laughs> like, right, right, right. To get a random person interested. Like, in invested. Else's... You're like, I don't yeah. even know these people. Why am I crying? What's going on? Yeah. yeah. Like, that's such an intimate day to, like, care about of a random person, usually. Like, especially if you're not in the wedding industry. Mm. So, like, having that be, like, wow. Like, I just stopped scrolling to, like, watch this film. Like, I don't know. And, I feel and those like... are typically... the the filmmakers that they're spending the most on those ones that are truly head turning. And you're like, okay, there's something just that anyone would see the clear difference between a and B. Yeah. Truly like a filmmaker, not just like I videoed their day and put it together. (laughs) Exactly. And slapped it together. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's key. Cause that's really what I push people towards is like, Hey, you really want to be in that top 1% where someone has to stop scrolling and just be engrossed in your films. Because only then can you really charge those prices because there's a lower supply for that level of quality. And I think it's huge. And then as far as the filmmaking, because you've you've probably worked with a good amount of filmmakers. And I think this is where kind of the rubber meets the road because you could have 
an incredible film where you're like, this is so good. And the couple loves the film, but then you work with the filmmaker and you're like, ah, I don't really want to work with you again. And you're not going to refer them because that's, I think, really what most filmmakers want is they want to be able to knock it out of the park once and then be constantly referred so that when you meet with couples, you could be like, hey, here's these options. I've worked with this filmmaker. They were awesome. They delivered. And that's going to really help. I'm sure the couples want to book them even more. So like before the day, on the day, after the day, what can filmmakers do to just make planners fall in love with them? Like what are the things that you look for as good? And then what are things that you've seen as bad, as negatives that people can avoid doing in the future? Yeah, I think before the wedding day, again, every planner is a little differently. So like, but for me, I, you know, a month before, two months before the wedding day, and that's when I'm usually starting the timeline. So reaching out to all the vendors, you know, hey, like, what is your time and look like for this, like confirming details, that sort of thing. And I spend a lot of time and intention in my timelines, I try to take an effort to listen to the photographer and the videographer and what's happening on the day and say, like, okay, you guys need more time here, you really want this because the couple prioritize sunset photos or whatever, like, and then try to craft a timeline that essentially makes everyone happy. I try to be as collaborative as possible. Of course, there are sometimes things that I can't control, like catering says this has to happen here. Like, I don't have a say, like you have to do what you have to do to make it happen kind of thing. Cause like I do that too sometimes, but, um, I think being responsive and understanding and helpful at the beginning makes it so much easier. Like it makes me so upset when I don't hear from somebody for weeks, like when I'm trying to like wait on this person, like this, you know, videographer to say, Hey, I need, or I'm going to show up at this time so I can make sure that hair and makeup is done. Like I'm coordinating with so many vendors that I'm a lot of times waiting on an answer from one vendor before I can reach out to the next or like confirm things. So just right away. Yeah. I think, I mean, you don't need to like an hour later, but like, you know, one to two business days, whatever your normal, Mm. I mean, maybe you don't have a standard, but I think (laughs) around that, and you know, of course, if you're out of office, whatever, but like, I think just trying to be respectful of that and like knowing that, especially if there is a planner for that wedding versus like there's no planner because then it's like you're kind of doing more. But and then the other thing is, yeah, like I send the timeline out. I like make like make sure this looks good to you. All the timing is great, blah, blah, well before. But then I send out the finalized timeline like the week of with the, everybody's details, like confirm, confirm, like this is stone essentially. And I've gotten sometimes like a videographer or photography like, oh, this won't work. This timing, we need to change this and this. And it's like, I've literally been talking with you for two months about this. And you're telling me like three days before the wedding, like I can't change that. Like, especially when it's like, oh, I want to start, we need to start earlier because then it pushes hair and makeup or the venue. Like there's so many factors that it's like, ah, why are you telling me this? Like literally right now. So um, I think just trying to like be a little bit more, maybe proactive or just responsive uh, or even like if the planner isn't that, like they're not reaching out to you that early, maybe just say, hey, here's a heads up. Like, for this, this, and this, I'm going to need this much time. And like, they have eight hours of coverage or whatever it is. And like, I think, you know, after talking with them, they don't care about getting ready, but they really want the exit or, you know, whatever it might be. Mm. Yeah. I just think kind of being collaborative and responsive is key, like on leading up. And then I would say day of just like being as flexible, but also like as respectful you can to the timeline. Cause like, there's a lot of things that are riding on that. And me, you know, talking with the kitchen or talking with so-and-so. So like, when somebody is like, oh, I don't care. Let's just go 30 minutes over because like you want these photos, especially if it's not communicated to me is like not a good experience for me. Like 
if you text me and say, Hey, they just decided they want to go X, Y, and Z. Is that cool with you? Or like FYI, we're going to be 10 minutes late. I can then give other people a heads up. Hey, we're running behind. That usually happens on wedding day, you know, Oh, we're 10 minutes behind over. But when I'm just over here in the dark waiting for you to come in for the, you know, entrance to the reception and you're nowhere to be found. It's kind of tricky on my part because I can't really do anything and other people are getting mad at me when I'm like, you, you don't even have a timeline because you're like, yeah, you have to just be like, uh, I don't know. And, and so, cause yeah, I think portrait time is the most stressful time where like the photographers and filmmakers are like, I want this time. But then the planner is just waiting and people are like, Hey, where's the food? Where's the couple where like, I want to sit down. And so you found that if it needs to go slightly over, you want someone to text you. Yeah, just give me a heads up. And like, I think, I mean, there are situations, it's usually where I'm very, I know how important photos and videos are. So I like want my couple to get that time. But there are like rare situations where I'm like, no, we literally have to start right now. Cause like, whether that's like, the, they have to be out of the venue and they have to, you know, dinner hasn't started and we have an hour. Like there are certain things that I'm like, right. I really need you to try to wrap it up like ASAP. But there, most of the time I'm like, cool, Especially if the couple, like to me, like wedding day, my number one priority is my couple. So like what my couple wants, I'm going to do anything possible to get them. So if they say, Hey, Sydney, like we really want 10 more minutes. Like, I feel like we want more photos like this. I'm like, great, do it. I'll let catering know we're going to be behind. Like, I think communication is key on wedding day for any vendor, just like communicating where you're at, what's happening, what's behind, what's ahead so that we can just kind of all collectively as a team, because it's a team effort. Uh, make everything run smoothly. Yeah, absolutely. And is there any like, as you've worked with a lot of filmmakers, have there been certain filmmakers on the day of where they just did certain things that really stuck with you that like, wow, they really communicated really well, or they really like did something that I would like other filmmakers to model? Yeah, that's a great question. How they work on the day of. I think a lot of it was just like communication. So like when they got there, they texted me like, Hey, where are you? Like, let's have a touch base kind of thing. Cause like on wedding day, I'm running around a million places. So like, I can't go and meet someone like somewhere and be like, Hey, let's talk. Yeah. Uh, Like come, like (laughs) come to me. I'm setting up a table. Like I'm happy to kind of give you a timeline, just say hello. Um, And then throughout the day, just like either giving text updates or, Hey, Sydney, I'm about to go pull them to do first look. Great. Thanks for letting me know. Like, okay, we're on time. Like just like little things. And then I obviously, before we do any like speeches or entrances or anything like that, I obviously make sure photo and video are ready. So I think, you know, if you're gonna like go disappear or go like go to the bathroom or go do something like, especially right before something, just let me know. So that I'm not looking like a crazy goose, like trying to find you. And like, you went to go like, go to the bathroom. It's like, you can obviously go to the bathroom. Just like, right, right. No, you cannot pee the whole no, day. Like, and like when it's in the reception and there's like, obviously two hours of nothing, like you don't need to announce your bathroom break to me. But like when we're like 10 minutes out from speeches and I'm making sure everyone's ready to go talking with the DJ and then we're all good to go. And I like give them a thumbs up and then you've like slipped away. And I'm like, Oh my God, like you're missing this slash. Now I'm going to hold off. And now I look weird. And, um, yeah, I just think communication, just like little things. I think to me that has made a big difference and just like having a positive attitude, even if things are like running behind or stressful, like we're all just trying to do our best and give the, the couple the best day. So like your planner isn't evil because they need to be out of the venue at this time, or this needs to happen. Obviously I think you know, even planners can obviously mess up and not handle things the best way. But generally speaking, we're all trying our best. So we just need to rally together and 
teamwork. <laughs> right. It's kind of just like, okay, this is the first time we've all worked together. Yeah. It's, it's a stressful day for everyone. Yeah. Like the best thing is the simplest thing is communicate as often. It's probably better to over communicate than under communicate. It's like, I think the biggest thing about this conversation that's kind of a light bulb is I think for people who've never worked with planners, think of it as this big thing. Like I got to do so much to get in with a planner and they're this, you know, different type of animal. Whereas in reality, you are trying to do the best that you can for your client. And there's really like just communicating well, not being spammy in terms of reaching out to a planner, making sure that your styles match, following them on Instagram and continually showing that you care not just about getting into their pocketbooks in terms of their brides, but actually with them as a person, really just general people skills. And like doing that, just those little things consistently, you're going to eventually end up working with a planner that you love and they're going to love you back. And if you actually make the day easier and make the planner look better, where the couple's like, oh my goodness, I loved working with this filmmaker. I love my film. They're going to tell that to you. And you're like, oh, I liked working with them on the day of. And the only reason you liked working with them wasn't because they had like this insane personality that was just super bubbly or it's just like, oh, they communicated they were nice and they didn't make my timeline go over. Like that's really what you're looking for. It's really bare <laughs> yeah. minimum. Yeah. I don't, I, I really don't need you to be like a certain act or have all this quality or whatever. Um, oh, one other little thing. I feel like this is obvious, but I've had this happen a few times. Have extra batteries and SD cards. Mm. I literally have had parts of my couple's wedding days, like completely missed, like all of speeches, like huge things because they didn't have, they ran out of like SD cards or whatever. They didn't have enough. They like literally ran out or they didn't have any extra batteries and their camera literally died. And I was like, they're looking at me and and I'm like, I'm sorry, (laughs) but like this sucks. Cause like my couple, like obviously paid to have you capture their day for, you know, X amount of hours. Like just have like enough to last the hours coverage. Like I'm not asking you to have. Like- and that just seems like, well, duh, but obviously yeah, not. So, <laughs> oh yeah, that goodness. happened. And I literally was like, okay, okay. Noted. Uh, All right. Well, yeah. I'm going to put you on the blacklist. I'm sorry. Even though I know it's not your fault, but you should have been prepared for this. Or yeah. This it's like er- mistakes happen, but like that is a big one. Uh, so just be aware. <laughs> yeah. That, that kind of makes me cringe. That's never happened to me, thankfully. But uh, geez, that's, that's every photographer's filmmaker's worst nightmare. It'd be like you showing up to the day and being like, well, caterer decided to get sick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. some like, timeline you probably have memorized at that point. Yeah. Um, so you could kind of function. DJ doesn't show up. Right. Yeah. Something big like that. No. No, I think those are excellent tips. And just the fact that it's really not that complicated in terms of being that main person that a you know planner recommends. How how are you doing on time? I know you had another call. It might be easier to quick wrap up if that's... Yeah, we'll just, we'll kind of quickly wrap up. So okay. um, just because I have a call too, it'll be easier. Yeah, okay. So I, yeah, think, I, I think we really like honed in on what filmmakers can do in terms of working with planners. And I think that's going to be extremely, extremely excellent. And um, I know you're kind of in a different place with your business or you're transitioning. Maybe you could give just like a five minute summary on that. It, would that be possible or should we go not even touch that? Yeah. Um, I can give a brief summary. Let me, hold on. Just give me a second. I'm going to email them and just say, I'm running a few minutes behind. 
It's actually with a park ranger um, for a permit that he won't give me. So I don't want to upset him. (laughs) I'm just emailing him really quick. All right, cool. Guys, this is wedding planning in action right now. This is how on top of it she is. So yeah, while she's doing that, since if uh, you guys are still listening to the podcast, which I'm sure you are, uh, while she while she's typing that out, like I think one thing that in terms of an actual step I want to give you guys is, I've already said it, but I'll say it again. Write down five planners that are out of state, local, and don't just cold DM them. That's the worst. Like, how would you feel? Like, I'm sure a lot of you filmmakers get. Uh, DMs from editors. That's like the super popular thing right now is, hey, I'm from India and I want to edit your film. And they just spam them out. Like, how does that make you feel? That's how planners feel with those random DMs. Uh, The best thing to do, write that list down, follow them. It might feel weird for you to do because you're like, it doesn't feel authentic, but make like it a practice in your week to go on their page, see if they posted anything new and comment on that, like it, comment on their stories. And I think the biggest thing, because all humans are the same, we like to help people who help us and make our lives easier. So if a planner is constantly posting and trying to build their business, more than likely, there's going to be a time where they're going to be like, hey, I need help finding a florist, or I need help finding a planner, or uh, not a planner, (laughs) a photographer, you know, and just being that helpful person with whatever they need or post on their story, they will remember that. And so definitely do that. And as we kind of get back in, we're going to just close out really quick. But I didn't want to leave this podcast without touching on this story, because I think it's so just interesting. So Sydney, as you've been following along, she has had very many faces in her business. She started out as this high-end kind of ballroom planner, then niched more down to, well, didn't niche down, but created her own business for more just every type of wedding, then niched down into more intimate elopement style weddings where she was just doing elopements. And I'm pretty sure her unique selling point was, hey, I don't just plan your wedding, I plan the whole elopement adventure, the hike, the travel, the itinerary, all that thing. But then recently, I think in the last year or so, she was like, oh shoot, I'm kind of at this crossroads where I don't know if I feel like I'm loving weddings anymore in terms of how much time they take on my personal life, never being able to like hang out with family, having to plan out a year and a half in advance for, and us as filmmakers, we know what that's like. And she kind of had a crisis of, shoot, maybe I don't want to be in the wedding world anymore and has recently transitioned out of the wedding world completely. And I kind of just want to have her briefly talk about that and really pay attention right now because I know there's a lot of filmmakers who are feeling like, man, do I even want to do weddings anymore? And should I jump? Like, yeah, Sydney, you can talk about that thought process, like why you did jump and what did you jump to? And how has that actually been a good decision, not only for your business, but also for like your life? Yeah, no, I think for me, um, I think everybody in the wedding industry deals with burnout in seasons and, you know, feeling the pressure and feeling the stress. It kind of ebbs and flows throughout the busy season, I feel. Uh, it's like a week of, I'm on top of the world. The next week you're like, I'm drowning. Um, but anyways, for me, I was realizing over the course of this last year, but like made the decision official about a month ago um, that I, 2023 is going to be my last year in weddings. Um, and it just kind of stemmed from a place of honestly just wanting more control over my life, which sounds crazy when you own your own business. Cause in people's minds, they think you just like can do anything you want whenever you want. 
but that's not like normally the case. I mean, obviously everyone's business structure is a little differently, but most people that have their own business work more than somebody that has like a nine to five. And for me, I was realizing just like my priorities were shifting and like traveling for every single wedding, like two to three times a month all year long was just getting to be way more like super draining for me in like every way, like my personal life, just like, and as a human, just getting run down. And I kind of looked at so many different avenues. Obviously I was like, okay, I could just do local to where I live weddings, but I never wanted to do that. That was just not my passion. I obviously don't think there's anything wrong with people that just work locally and don't like to travel for their weddings. I don't think it's for everyone, but I was like, I don't want to do that. I'd rather do a completely something else than do local weddings. That just like, wasn't my passion. And then I also was like looking at the option for a while of like building out a team. Cause honestly, after my first year of business, I had grown so much that I probably could have hired two people full time. Like I was just turning away so many inquiries. I like had so much work that I was like, couldn't do because I didn't have a team. And I kind of knew and like I I looked at I kind of outsourced for a little bit and tried different, you know, assistants and things like that. And I obviously had some great day of assistance. But for me, it just never felt right to have another full time planner on my team. I knew that part of my brand and my business was like me. And I just didn't feel like I could trust slash I didn't want to have to trust anyone else to kind of work with my couples. So and I think part of owning your own business. And what's the perk is you can control what you do and what choices you make. And, Mm. you know, there's no, in my opinion, there's no point in doing something that you don't like or aren't passionate about when you run your own business, because like other people, they just quit that job and go get another job. So why as a business owner, can't you shift your business to be something that you're now more passionate about? Um, and yeah, so there's like so many factors and like different routes I kind of looked at. But long story, I just knew the best for me was that I just needed to leave the wedding industry. Um, I believe that if you work in the wedding industry, you need to be on fire for weddings. I, especially as a planner, I think that you should just pour everything into your couples because I think they deserve that. Obviously, within, you know, work-life balance, like I support, you know, mental health, but like within reason, um, I think that your couples deserve the world. Um, and they shouldn't just get someone that's just showing up in their wedding day. Like, Oh, another wedding, quick, click. I don't care. Cause I think that shows in your work. And I think when they're paying anyone thousands of dollars to photograph or video and make a film of their day, they should be like super passionate about that. And obviously there's like days you're not feeling it as much. And I think that's normal, but as a general overall, I was like, I can't go into another season a year and a half out, two years out booking to where I, I just knew I couldn't give it my all. And it's also like anyone that books weddings, it's like, it's so far away that you have to think about your life. So forward thinking and it can get complicated. Like it's like, (laughs) especially with the life we live, like we live pretty nomadic. We love to travel. Like I'm like, I don't even know where we're going to live. Like, I don't know when we want to start a family, like all these things. And it's harder, it was harder for me to be like, oh, I could just hire an associate to cover it. You know, if X, Y, Z happened, like I'm flying to Europe for my couple. So like one, I want to go to France, you know, where they booked me, but also like, I can't trust another person to like go to a foreign country and do everything that I would do if something were to happen or, you know, like it just was getting to be where it was like more stress than like passion for me. 
in the simplest sense. So over the last year, I kind of was realizing that I, um, sorry, this is like long and complicated as anything in my life, but I was realizing (laughs) that I really love to capture our travels. Um, my husband and I travel a lot and I recently, so our wedding, we have another crazy story, which I won't go into, but we have a really crazy wedding story. And two days before our wedding, we both tested positive for COVID. We're extremely sick. Yeah. Like had to cancel everything. We eloped like literally we're throwing up on our wedding day. Like we're very, very sick. Um, (laughs) and we didn't have photo and video, obviously like we couldn't have there. We had no one there. It was just my parents and Caleb's parents who were already there. None of our other friends or guests or like my siblings weren't even there. And we had to learn how to use, well, Caleb had more familiarity. He actually used to be a wedding videographer. Um, so (laughs) I know like sorry, random thing. Um, but we had to capture our own wedding day. So, uh, my mom, like we had to teach my mom, she took my wedding photos and my dad filmed our wedding. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is literally mind blowing. It got featured in Bride's magazine. Side note. So, your dad's going to become a luxury wedding filmmaker and your mom's going to yeah. be like, you know, Jose Villa part two. Uh, no, literally people were like, didn't believe my story after seeing the photos because my mom killed it. And there was a lot of, there's a lot of factors, but Anyways, the reason I'm telling you this is because I finally learned how to shoot manual on a camera. I'd always wanted to learn. I just didn't have the time. And I quickly learned that this is how I had to shoot my wedding day if I wanted anything to show my future kids, my family, like literally to remember this day. So, and we didn't do anything later. We didn't do any wedding celebration or anything later because long story short, because of notice, we didn't really get any of our money back. We only got a few refunds from vendors, but it was like so minimal. I mean, it was amazing that they were able to do that, but it was minimal in comparison to planning an entire wedding. So we knew this was it. Like we're not getting like a redo later. So anyways, we learned how to shoot manual. So then I started realizing, oh, I kind of like photography. I never wanted to shoot weddings. I was like, people are like, oh yeah, start shooting weddings. Like, no, um, that's not for me. Props to people that do that. It's just not for me. So we started like filming all of our travels and taking photographs when we traveled. And I had always had a love for blogging. So just really poured more into that, um, on the side and had started working with some brands and getting more into like the travel content creation realm. And I realized that I loved it. It was more aligned with like what we just do on a daily basis. And I didn't have to plan, you know, years out, like most brand deals are like a few months out. So it was just a lot more flexible. And it's like, we're already going to X, Y, and Z locations. So why not, why not snap a couple? <laughs> take a few photos that I'm going to use anyway, um, and want anyways, and just be a little bit more thoughtful in how we capture our days to like essentially help others be able to travel and adventure kind of like on a budget. Cause we already were getting so many messages like, how do you guys travel all the time? Where did you go? I want tips on this. Like it was something that was naturally happening. So I was like, why not like lean into this and essentially make it like my job. So anyways, I kind of shifted my business slowly. Like a lot of people, it's funny when I finally posted, they were like, Oh my God, I saw this coming. Like I knew this. Like like, you did. I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, okay. And then other people were like shocked, but like excited kind of thing. But yeah, like I have shifted more into that realm and there's definitely, I'm still learning, you know, but I can, a lot of people are like, Oh, like, how do you make money? Can you even make money? Um, I can make a lot more than I was doing, doing weddings. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, and, and what, cause it's basically an influencer, which 
Like I know there's uh, one girl I follow who you probably know, Re- Renee Rome or Ren. Oh yes, I yeah, love her. Yeah, she's she's like a travel Instagram mm-hmm. person. I, I think she has products now too that she sells on her site, but kind of in that same realm of what you're getting into. And she makes like I think a hundred grand a month or two hundred grand a month or something crazy, like absurd yeah. amounts. Yeah. So um, my goal is not to like in theory become an influencer. Like I get that question a lot. Like my goal isn't to have like a bazillion followers. Obviously that makes the job a little easier and you can get paid more. But for me, like you can do a lot of work with brands, like regardless of your follower count, it's more like UCG content. It's like user generated content. So like a brand, you know, reaches out to me or I reach out to them and I essentially shoot content for them that they use for their own promotions, marketing, social media, that so like I'm never posting oh, it. Interesting. So you'll reach out to a brand and say, "Hey, I'm going to go to France. Uh, can you send me your product? I'll give you a bunch of promo materials, and you just send them a quote, essentially for that." Essentially, yeah. So I have like different packages for photo creation, video creation, uh, social media postings, that sort of thing. So like I'm trying to get more into like I'm working with a hotel that I'm capturing our stay or I'm working with a tour company or an outdoorsy brand that we take camping, which we've done before. Um, and I shoot a bunch of content for them and they use it for their own social media, which is super invaluable to them. Ah, so it's kind of like hiring stock photographers. Yeah. But for, and, and you get compensated for your stay and it all works out. Yeah. Interesting. It's like super freelance and it's like a lot more, um, like with how social media has changed, it's a lot more, like people want to see that content, like versus some big production in a studio that they used to, you know, pay $20,000 for this photographer to come and shoot content of their brand, obviously depending on the brand, then like they started doing that, but like, you know, um, Hydro Flask or like random, I'm like, can't think of anything. We have a million outdoorsy brands that we use, but like things like that, that they want to, people want to see them using the product camping or wherever. So we are essentially partnering with those brands. Uh, to create that. So that is so cool. And if someone's like, because I think this is applicable for filmmakers or photographers, because both could do something like this. And I think probably as people are listening, they're like, Oh, my goodness, I didn't even know that was like a thing that you could do. And I could make more money than doing video or photo and like actually spend time with my family. So really quick, because I know you got to go but like, where would someone go if they were even remotely interested in learning how to do that? Did you just like reach out to brands and kind of learn as you go? Or is there certain resources that you found of someone who had already done it, like either a course or a YouTube channel or just someone that kind of help, is helping you build this out? Yeah. So there's a travel content creator coach that I follow. She used to be a travel content creator. Now she's essentially like sharing all her secrets on how she did it. Her Instagram is through the lines or through the lens. It's like okay. L-L-Y-N-S. Um, she's amazing. Okay. We'll put it in the description so you could send it to me after. Yeah. I learned a lot from her, but I think it's a lot of trial and error. It's definitely like something I'm, it's not common trying to explain this to my family or people. They're like, what are you doing now? It's <laughs> they're like, you do, do you work, you travel, you get paid. Yeah. They're like, I don't think you work, you know? Um, it definitely is a lot of work and I'm learning that. And so like, it's not like if somebody's like, oh, I just want like free money. Like it's not that it's, it's still very hard work. Not that you thought that, but like in general, um, it's hard work. I would say too, like photographers or videographers, if you just want to like, even not do that, like you can just work with brands in general. A lot of photographers I know have shifted out of weddings and done brand work. So whether that's like small businesses, like a hair salon or 
swimsuit line or whatever, and they're shooting models. The thing that's unique about what I'm doing, I feel like to some photographers that may not like this. So I just want to share this, like we're in the photos. So like a lot of what I'm shooting, I'm using a tripod or like my husband is taking photos of me using it or vice versa. So like, if you're not like comfortable in front of the camera, like that's not your vibe. And like, right. that might not, not fit. You. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. So like, if you still want to be more behind the camera and like do things like that, I think brand work is still totally possible and like definitely like is popular, but and then what do you, cause like a simple thing would be, Hey, uh, hydro flask, right. Hires you yeah. for, and then you go to the mountains and you take a couple pictures of you guys in the back of your forerunner or something like that with like the hydro flask there. And you give them 10 or so photos. Like what does hydro flask pay someone for something like that? That is such a loaded question. Um, I feel like I can't even answer that this time, but like essentially, okay, no, no, you're we'll good. Just... I'll just like, essentially it's like, a lot of the girl that I mentioned, she has a rate calculator that will help you figure out your pricing, but it has to do with like your Instagram following versus your level of experience, the type of equipment you're using and factored in your like engagement rate on Instagram. So like, even if you have, you know, 200,000 followers, your engagement rate might be less than mine. And I only have 7,000 followers. So like, there's a lot of factors. So, um, Honestly, I used her formula to figure it out. Um, <laughs> okay, so link in the description for all that. But... Yeah, I was going to say, because I, what I say will not be applicable, I feel like, to like, literally anyone in right. like, my <laughs> like, exact <yeah>. situation. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that like just just caps it all up, and I like that is just so like a cool thing to leave it on. Is there are other things that you could do? I honestly I've heard about this whole travel thing, kind of being a travel influencer. I know that's not really what it is, but it kind of is. Um, and I just think opening up filmmakers and photographers' minds to other things they could possibly do, or even take half the weddings you're doing and use something like this to supplement is also an idea. So all of this was fantastic. Everything from the wedding planning to everything we just talked about. Honestly, I wish we had more time so I could talk more about that because I'm just so interested in it. But we'll have to yeah. save it for another podcast. Yes. Uh, this was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Alrighty, well, that wraps up our conversation with Sydney. And like always, there'll be tons of links for everything we talked about in the description below. And then, like I said at the beginning, my Profitable Filmmaker course, How to Make $100,000 a Year as a Wedding Filmmaker, is coming out super soon. And so if you're at all interested in that, how to make $100,000 a year in any market, in any location, in any economy, in a way where you're able to work with clients you love and have a schedule that you love without burnout, click the link below and put in your email to find out when this course is coming out next. And I cannot wait for this course to come out. I'm just so excited. It's going to have an even beefier, more hearty mentorship component where I'm going to be right there with you, helping you through this whole process. And you don't want to miss that enrollment period because once the enrollment is closed and it'll only be open for like seven or eight days, it's going to be closed for a very, very long time. So put in your email to be the first to hear about it. And thank you guys so much uh, for listening to this episode and I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you.